when you are able to own for less and just focus on your need-based expenses for less, that is such a weight off your shoulders. And mamas, we are dealing with enough to be adding on extra stuff. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, I'm joined by Nativa Hurd, founder of the Frugal Credit Nista. Nativa is a personal finance coach affectionately known to her clients as the Goal Crushers Credit Coach, and she's helped over 200,000 people achieve 700 FICO scores and above. So we're going to dig deep today on expert strategies to improve your credit so you can create a rock-solid financial foundation that you can leverage to build wealth no matter where you're starting. As a reminder, these episodes are recorded live on YouTube Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you want to have your questions answered on the show, be sure to subscribe to the Smart Money Mama's YouTube channel and join us there. Are you ready? Let's get started. Nativa, welcome to the Smart Money Mama show. I am excited to be here. You look great. So do you. I love the purple in your hair. It's fantastic. Thank you. My son picked this out, so we decided to have a little fun. So. <laughs> Nice. Usually I'm plain. So, <laughs> My youngest favorite color is purple as well. So that's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about the Frugal Credit Nista and your debt and credit journey. Thank you. Well, again, I'm Nativa, the Frugal Credit Nista. I own a financial education services firm, the Frugal Credit Nista, where we help our <laughs> clients to repair, restore, rebuild, and transform their credit scores. So that's both on the credit side as well as budgeting because money and credit are married. They go together. (laughs) I also own a DIY online school, Credit on Fire Academy, where we help our students to master their money, destroy their debts, and soar their credit scores so they can begin leveraging their credit to build wealth. So I'm super excited to be here. All of those platforms, in addition to my free community, Credit Makes Sense, was created from something that I needed during my credit journey. I often Mm. speak to my community about how I was rocking out alone. I was learning alone. I was reading alone. I was looking at blogs and YouTube channels by myself because a lot of my friends just weren't about that, getting their finances together life. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe by myself and it happened out of a need. Our finances were impacted horribly by the recession. My main sole source of income was from my real estate business. And when things dried up, it dried up horribly. At the same time, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then nine months after my first surgery, I also found out that we were pregnant with my first son. And as a business owner in her 20s, my insurance sucked. I racked up so much debt. I mean, most of mamas here know how much it costs to have a baby. Add on cancer treatment, surgery, and all of that to it. And we were approximately 590 something thousand dollars in debt. Now, I know, yeah. And that was mostly medical. So it wasn't like I was racking up credit cards and personal loans, that was literally all medical. And I was just like, so overwhelmed. Mm. So obviously I filed bankruptcy. I mean, that's the number one reason why most people filed bankruptcy, not because of mismanagement of funds, Mm. but because of medical bills and collections and all of that stuff that piled up. And so once I was finally discharged, I got a chance to exhale and be like, okay, what could you have done better? You should not have been here. You should not have been here. And as I was learning and growing, I built the community. As I started doing consultations on credit, budgeting and things of that sort, 
then I was like, okay, well, let me start doing some DIY classes. That's Spearheaded Credit on Fire Academy. And then the Frugal Credit kind of encompasses all of that. It's that one-on-one connection and just allowing people to be transparent and open without feeling shamed, without feeling embarrassed, without feeling judgment. I wanted that so bad for uh, my community of primarily mamas and women, single women, mamas, and et cetera, who needed a place to learn without feeling shamed for not knowing and for making mistakes and knowing how to climb out of it. We are all about no shame here and starting wherever you are. But let's let's go back for a second because becoming a new mom is overwhelming and stressful for anybody. Doing it right after beating cancer and with all this debt, what was that journey like for you? Oh my gosh, talk about stressful. Like it was literally the most stressful time of my life. And number one, I am a praying mama, so that definitely helped. Number mm-hmm. two, I'm not one to really talk about my feelings and be all mushy gushy. And it's from my mom. But I remember like sitting down because I did really well in real estate. That was a fabulous business for me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, I have this baby. And mamas, you know how the emotions are after having a baby. And I just remember mm-hmm. bursting out, crying like, oh, my God, I'm a failure. And my mom just cracked up laughing at me. That is not an response I expected when I finally opened up, right? But she just literally said, you know, this will pass. This will pass. This is what's going on right now. Don't make decisions or mark yourself as a failure when this is just a temporary page in your story. She was like, keep pushing, keep it moving. And so literally it took that, her to laugh at me. (laughs) It made me feel bad for me to be like, okay, like you can do this. You were raised by a single mother. You know what she went through by herself. You have a phenomenal husband, a great support system. You don't have to do this by yourself. Not a budget in part, I did, but I had to like give up. Okay, mom, I need you to take the baby for a while so I can like yes. exhale, you know? And I think a lot of us, we miss not on sleep. We're stressed. We're trying to do super mom. And we really have to like be okay with accepting help, especially as, as you mentioned, a new mom. Yes, absolutely. Let's touch on credit health for a second, because without naming names, there are certain financial professionals out there that recommend that your credit score doesn't matter. Like just don't be in debt. Your credit score doesn't matter. Why is credit health so important and why is it married to our ability to build wealth? Oh my gosh. So I always teach my community that credit does three things, save, own, and build. Those are the three in that order, save, own, and build. So save. Number one, you always want to save money on stuff if you're a frugal, smart money mama, okay? (laughs) Savings is like such a big part of that. And I'll give you my own story. I'll never forget when I was starting off, you know, going to get my own place. And they told me I had to put a deposit down for utilities. And I remember thinking, I don't remember my mom ever having to put <laughs> a deposit down. But as I started to build my credit and I got that deposit back, I was like, wow. Like, okay. So that was a key thing. I also remember talking to, um, I think I had T-Mobile at the time. And he was saying, well, you know, normally you want to qualify for this because your credit is so good. We can offer you this phone package. And I was like, okay, save money there. Mm-hmm. And I like the best phone plan ever that I never would have had when my credit was not that great. And also looking at insurance premiums. Yes. That was huge. So I saved money on just those things for my personal experience. And that allows me to now have money towards other things. I'm able to invest more. I'm able to explore other methods of investing that I now have the money for because I'm able to save more. 
Other than that, we always know, especially around this time with the pandemic, of we hearing about credit in relation to renting a place in addition to buying a home. And that's just like need-based stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went over all the need-based stuff. I haven't listed credit cards and personal loan and all that good stuff, but housing is huge right about now, mm-hmm. especially with how home prices are going, especially with the low rates that are going on for those with stellar credit. And then you look at the flip side of those who are trying to buy a home and trying to rent whose credit is not that great. I've tried to rent with bad credit. In my younger years, it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I had to pay like twice as much for, and it wasn't even that it was bad. I just wasn't using it. Twice as much for my security deposit. And then I'll never forget when I got like a, it was like three point something percent interest rate. I was almost fainted. Like what? (laughs) I could not believe it. And so just those few things. Now let's talk about the wealth building because you mentioned it. When you Mm. are able to own for less and just focus on your need-based expenses for less, that is such a weight off your shoulders. And mamas, we are dealing with enough to be adding on extra stuff. Yes, you can definitely buy a home. You can definitely rent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without being in debt and without having a score. But look at how the market shifts and moves. With the amount of competition right now for housing, even for quality apartments and things of that sort, how do you think you're going to match up with somebody over here with even, let's just say, a 700 score, yeah. and you're over here with no score, and you're like, but I have no debt, and 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 I like they can't see that on that report. I'm going to skip over you. I am a landlord. I am going to skip over you, and I'm going <laughs> to go to somebody who I know for a fact what is going on based on what's on their credit report. Now, I'm also going to look at other things that I look at personally when I'm looking to rent to a person, but I'm going to go on what's on the report. I'm not going to take a chance on you. And yes, you can still find somebody who will, but the majority will not. So it just makes life so much more peaceful. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think too, you mentioned not having a score, right? We always talk about what do you do if you have a bad score, but can you tell us why you might just not have a score at all? Oh, no, you're just not using credit. Uh, and it, there are so many unscorable people. It's generally the older generation or the super young. Usually when you come in, I would say late 20s, over 30s or something like that, we kind of know because we've got denied some things. <laughs> we, know we need a score. But the older generation are kind of like, oh, you know, I've dealt with it this long and la, 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 la. But I'll never forget when I had an older, she couldn't be a client because she didn't qualify. She didn't have a score. So I was like, I'll just give you some tips to start rebuilding. And she was trying to get an apartment in the senior citizen building, make the money, but they were very credit score driven as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, add this on. This is how you use it. La, la, la. And I followed up with her. I was like, if you need another consultation, let me know. I didn't hear from her. So I was like, let me check on her. So she was like, what you say, Nativa? I have a score. And she was like in the 700s like that. Just from three months of getting one card and using it as I taught her, which is very low, when to pay it, all that good stuff. And I mean, she slid in. Was it a new credit profile? Absolutely. But they just needed to see something on there that was at the bracket that they had set for themselves. It's just about taking those small baby steps. You don't want to do it all at once because then you look risky. Mm. So you want to take those small little baby steps. I tell people every three months, do something, assess, do something, assess, do that for about nine or 12 months. And then Layla, pause. <laughs> but age, keep doing your good things about paying on time and not charging on every single credit card, but just kind of pause and assess and let the credit you've established get some age, let it get old. And that's something we've heard before too, where people, they don't have a score, they have a low score. And they think that the best way is to like open a couple credit cards, get some payment plans so that they see more things going on. Why is it better to go slow? 
Well, inquiries, the only reason that FICO scores inquiries is because of risk. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to assess your risk. And so if they see you opening all of a sudden a whole bunch of stuff, it's like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly enough, other creditors are looking like that as well. And so you'll notice that those who probably speak with you in your community, you know, at first they're getting accepted. Then all of a sudden they're getting denials. Yeah. And they're like, why? Because you're risky now. You went out there and you started (laughs) opening a whole bunch of stuff. So now they have to like the algorithms and the guidelines that they have set up for approvals. Now they're like, okay, well, you're applying for a lot of stuff. What's going on now? What's going on in your life that you all of a sudden need access to all of this credit? Mm -hmm. And so then you're going to start getting denials. And so just to kind of mitigate all that, because denials do not look good with that inquiry on there. It does not. So most of you have looked at your credit reports before. So you already know that inquiries are listed. And so when they see that inquiry and it's not tied to an open report, we automatically know that either you denied them or they denied you. And based on your profile, they can tell which one it is. And you don't want to go through that. All right. So for those who don't know, what goes into a credit score? What is FICO including in our score? All right. The FICO pie. I wish I had my little flip chart here. I can't share anything <laughs> with you guys, but that yummy FICO pie. Okay. So five things. So number one, you have the biggest one, which is your payment history. And payment history scores all of your history, negative, positive, open and closed. And that is 35% of your score. Mm-hmm. Then you have the amount owed category. And this looks at how much you owe on your accounts. Credit card have the biggest rate right here. But there is a small margin that also scores your installment accounts, which are your student loans, your mortgage, car notes, things of that sort. That's 30%. Then you have length of age. How old is your credit? FICO loves antiques. That is 15% of your credit score. And then you have the 210. So Mm -hmm. that is your credit mix, how well you manage different types of credit. So that's 10%. And then new credit. The bulk of that is your inquiries. Nothing's positive about your inquiries. (laughs) Now, if you haven't like made a lot of, like for instance, I haven't applied for anything in a while. So if I was to apply for something, at my score bracket, and because I haven't applied for anything in a while, I'm not going to lose any points right there. But yes. remember we went back to the other uh, example of if you've applied, applying, applying, you're going to get hit hard. I remember when I was trying to build and just hit the 600 club, and I would apply for maybe one or two things. And I mean, I'm like, hey, why am I losing 30 points? It is not that big, FICO. Like, <laughs> Be a little overdramatic. <laughs> Let me breathe. Why is this happening to me? But those are the five components that goes into your score. There are some other things as well. I saw a couple of the questions that have been submitted. And another thing that FICO does is they have scoring cards. Mm -hmm. And so you guys know how in college or even high school, there was the curve. And so on those scoring cards, there's people with similar credit profiles as yours. And all of what they are doing affects how your scores are going to go up to on that card. So there's a bankruptcy scoring card. There's one with collections. There's one with a few late payments on there. Each card composed of those five categories. This is probably the most confusing part (laughs) of Michael when I teach it. But I wanted you guys to know because some of you had said, you know, hey, I'm here. Why haven't I moved? Or hey, this happened. And that's particularly why. Even if nothing changed, you're wondering, why do my scores take a dip? Well, it's it's the curve, but don't worry about that because eventually it's going to go up in another direction in your favor. So Mm. scores kind of do this every single day. So I wouldn't worry about small minor fluctuations within a 10 point range. Gotcha. Okay. And so you file for bankruptcy. 
Yes. After all the medical debt. And this is something that a lot of people have a ton of fear about. So we hear sometimes for women that are in a lot of debt and they're trying to avoid bankruptcy like it's going to be the end of everything if they do it. So what did that look like for you? And what was the credit score recovery process after you filed? Oh, that's a great question. So for me, I did not want to file bankruptcy. I come from family that used bankruptcy for the law change. as just like a get out of debt tool. So I was just like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> And so when I had to do it, oh my God, it was humbling. It was shameful. It was so many emotions, but I always use this one rule. If I know that I can't pay this off in three years with a super strict budget and super side hustling type method, then I need to file bankruptcy. Like I am not on a 10 year journey to get out of debt when I can get out of the debt and then start building, rebuilding because the rebuilding process, even with compound interest, even if you're investing like $20 a month somewhere where your money is growing for you. That is phenomenal than paying interest to somebody. I would rather earn some interest than to pay interest trying to pay off that debt. So again, I always use the three-year mark. So if I can get out of it in three years just by buckling down, great. If not, then it's time to start considering bankruptcy. And nothing's wrong with the conversation. Leave your pens, your credit cards. Don't get sucked into anything when you have that discussion. Just find out all the information to see what's best for you. The journey, the rebuilding process was a tough one. I always tell my husband and everyone else that if I was single, it would have happened much quicker. But because I knew in order to get to where we needed to be as a familial unit with a new baby, Mm -hmm. that we had to go through some serious spending curbs, budgeting curbs, meal planning. Never did that. (laughs) No eating out whatsoever. (laughs) We had to do a complete transformation in order to get to where we wanted to be. Mm. And so the hardest part of that was getting husband on board. Just going to ask. Yes, it was something else. But the shift happened to us. You guys are going to crack up. We were in Walmart. Now, mind you, I didn't like shopping at Walmart (laughs) or Aldi until I got, you know, was on my rebuild. But I realized, okay, you can no longer afford this Whole Foods and Jewel and all that other stuff. You're going to have to peel off this bougie layer and start shopping at places that you can now afford. And it was great. I still shop there now. At any rate, we were in Walmart and I had budgeted everything to the letter. I mean, to the Mm -hmm. set. And he goes and grabs like a dollar and 89 cent gum. It was somewhere around that. But I was so dramatic. Okay. I was like, (laughs) why can't you just grab the 25 cents gum? Isn't that deep? And he's like, well, excuse, I work hard. It's just a piece of gum. I should be able to get what I want to get. I earned this. And I was like, no, you earned. Let's get out of debt. Let's, (laughs) you know, let's get off this. Let's do this. Let's save that. And we had a huge argument right there in Walmart. And afterwards, we kind of cracked up about it. (laughs) We kind of discussed what we both needed. That is so important to discuss what you need. I need my own little pocket money. Okay, great. Let's budget for that. Mm. You need to kind of loosen the reins a little bit. I did it. But I let him know every time an emergency happens, where is the money coming from? A little stash that I'm keeping for our emergency fund. And why is that important? How how has it helped us? Mm -hmm. And so getting together and discussing goals was super, super important because I don't think we did it to that capacity. Even now, I'll be like, you know, what are your dreams? What are your goals? Because just because you're married now, we all individually have certain things that we want to accomplish. So. And sometimes when you've been married, especially for a longer time, you just assume that what you want is what your partner wants, right? We're on the same page, but that can really drift over time. And so how long did it take you to get back to a healthy credit score post-bankruptcy? 
18 months. I got back into the seven. That's not bad. That's not bad. But remember, I told you I did it in those incremental steps. And I never spent more than 10% of my approved credit limit. And they just kept on and kept on increasing it some more. But I was very strategic. It took me 18 months. And as soon as I did it, I created a class for it. <laughs> some of our students have been able to do it in a year and 15 months, maybe 24 months. But it's literally doing a little bit by little bit every quarter making sure that you're not getting anything else negative on you. That is so important because once, remember I talked about scoring cards, mm. once you're on that bankruptcy scoring card and you do something negative and it reports, you are double D because it's like, have you not learned your lesson? <laughs> gotcha. And so you have to make sure that nothing else negative gets reported on your credit report during that time. So keeping utilization low is a great way to increase your credit score. What are some other steps people can take those baby steps we could be taking quarter on quarter to keep increasing our scores. Okay. So this only applies depending on where you are on your FICO scoring card. So let me preface that depending on where you are in the rebuild process. But obviously you want to check for errors. There has been so many errors reported during this time frame, the pandemic. It is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There has also been a lot of identity theft reporting. I know I personally just went out of town and literally the day of my flight, I saw a $600 account post to my credit card. And I was like, <laughs> because that's just not how I spend. So make sure you're checking that as well. Also make sure that when you have those negatives that you know how to dispute them. Online is simple. It's easy. However, it's not always investigated as thoroughly as in writing. That's why you'll see so many credit professionals say, don't do it online. You may want to send it in writing so you can have a tracking and all of that good stuff. So looking for negative items, making sure that you're spending significantly less than your approved credit limit. I always teach my community to less than 10%, not 10%, less than 10%. Some of my high achievers, like over, I'll say like 760 and up, who have larger limits, we're kind of in that one to 3% club. We never charge more than one to 3% of our approved credit limit. When you're in the rebuilding process, you're scores are really sensitive to inquiry. So I remember one of the questions was saying, you know, what credit cards, like, do you need the credit card? What do you need the credit card for? There should be a goal attached to it, not to just get a credit card. Yes. And then knowing when to close a credit card. That is so important because I see some of my people who have jumped up into the upper 600 level and they still have some subprime cards, such as Merit Bank, First Premier, Credit One, like, no, those should not be in your wallet anymore. Like, once you're at that level, you need to leave those high interest rate subprime cards where they are. They are a gateway. They allowed you to get to those better cards. But now you do need to drop them in favor of other cards. So just kind of say every two to three months again, kind of drop that one, get another one, drop that one, get another one. So you can have better quality cards in your wallet that are going to grow with you as your credit scores grow. So you want to start getting into the Discover and the cities. You may want to check on City. City is pretty stringent. So it depends on what your credit scores are. Even Capital One has some good quality cards that can go with you from subprime all the way to the 700, 800 club. Mm. So making sure that you're keeping those inquiries on track, you're checking your errors, you're keeping that utilization super duper duper low, and you are constantly monitoring. Mm. And so how do we think about closing cards with credit age, though? Sometimes you get questions of, I have this really high interest card, but it's my oldest card. I got it in college. What do we do with those cards? Remember the five things that FICO consider, right? Mm -hmm. So you got payment history. That card is going to stay on for 10 years from the date that you close that card. That's not going to change. You're going to still get 10 years of good old quality history on there. So you're not going to lose that. 
Utilization, of course, the card is closed. <laughs> in that age, as long as that card is on your report, it will factor into your age. There's a myth that like once you close the card, age is no longer considered, but that's not the truth. As long as that card is on your report for that entire decade, it's going to be reconsidered into your payment history and into your age. So you're not losing age by closing the card, but it will impact your utilization. And hopefully, since you dropped the card, you factored or did that calculation with and without the card. So before you do anything, do the calculation first, (laughs) just to see how it'll impact your overall utilization. And just so you know, utilization is calculated on each card and then all cards combined. So do the calculation with all cards combined to see how it'll impact your overall utilization when FICO goes and scores that. And so that's a great point about utilization, because if we're starting from post-bankruptcy or we're starting when we've never had credit before, keeping our utilization low is an easier thing to do than when we're already maxed out on a bunch of cards, right? And so let's say you have a few cards, you're maxed out on a couple. How do we start ratcheting down utilization? Should we bring one card down all the way down to 10% or try to get them all down a little bit at a time? What works best? Oh, it really depends on your budget. Remember I said money and credit Mm. (laughs) going So it really, really depends. And then what kind of affects your psyche? For me, I needed something at zero. You know what I'm saying? Like I could like bring them all down. No, I need a card paid off. That's what I needed. So for me, drilling in on one card and bringing it to zero was very important for me. However, some people in my community like to do it across the board. So we do it in tiers. If they're kind of maxed out, let's work on bringing them to 80%. Mm -hmm. Now let's do the next goal at 60%. So every 20% decreases. We kind of try to bring it down across the board like that. And then as far as sorting them, of course, I'm sure most of you guys know about the avalanche and tsunami, snowball and all of that good stuff. So whatever is for you. I personally do the hybrid. I had cards that were, um, had the balance transfers and that if I didn't pay it off within a certain time frame, then I would have to pay some more interest. I wouldn't have that. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it's just kind of like what's can keep you motivated. And for me, I needed it at zero. So it doesn't really matter which one you do as long as you get it done. Yeah. So if, yeah, that, that would be my best advice for that. Absolutely. And I think that, so we actually like what we call the big scary monster debt method, which is kind of a hybrid, but it's like whatever debt causes you the most stress, pay that off first. Yes. You get this major <laughs> win and then everything else feels easier. But yeah, any method you pick, you just got to find a method. We have a ton of questions today for you. We had submitted an Instagram and Facebook. And so we have people here in the chat as well. So I'm going to pivot over and start to answer some audience questions. Okay. And the first one is from Sue who says, is it better to just throw cards you're no longer using in a drawer or close them? What is the benefit of closing them instead of just leaving them open? I mean, you can throw them in the drawer. One thing about leaving them open is just that it has all of that history attached to it. Um, You never know if you're going to be able to pull on it. And then you also have to think about keeping them active. So it is more management because in every credit card policies guidelines, there is a you must use it X amount of times every X amount of months in order for this to not be closed. And so many people experience that. And sometimes it's not in your control, like the pandemic. They were closing cards like crazy just because their risk level Mm -hmm. was impacted by the pandemic. So, but I would manage them first and see how you do and then go through them again and maybe start getting rid of the store cards and all that and just stick with your majors if you are going to close. But please do the calculations first. See how it's going to impact your entire score before you just start closing because I don't want you to say, Matilda, that woman you brought on, Chelsea, no. (laughs) (laughs) Casey wants to know, 
how do I get and read my credit report? So I can't believe we skipped over this, but let's dive into that question. Okay. Well, you said reports right now until April of 2022, the government is giving a free credit report from all three bureaus every week. So you can actually pull it once a week, wow. which is fab. So all you have to do is go to annualcreditreport.com and grab your report from each bureau. Now, how to read it, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not always the easiest, depending on what's on it. I have a free class to actually teach you, walk you through every aspect of your credit. But if you have a blog or something like that that teaches them, that would be a great tool as well. But annualcreditreport.com is fab. You will not have your scores for free, but you can get them free from a few places. You can get them from Discover Core Cards uh, website. You can get them from Credit Karma, which is your Vantage, not your FICO scores, Credit Sesame. Some of your credit cards and banks offer them. So try to get a free first, but you can't pay for it at myfico.com. But it is going to cost about 30 bucks or so. But it gives you like 19 plus different FICO versions. So it's just a good investment if you're willing to spend that. Different services do use different scores, right? There's like an auto score and and a mortgage score. Can you explain that for a second? Absolutely. So FICO right now has, oh, I don't know the exact number, but it's over 70 different versions of their scores. <laughs> it's exhausting to even hear about. I know. The most popular ones are on the myfico.com's credit reports. And so they have a generic score or a classic score, and then they have an industry option score. And those are tailored to the banking slash credit card industry, the auto industry, the mortgage industry. And right now, the mortgage industry uses the oldest, most strictest scores <laughs> of them all. And the most popular one is FICO 8. So if you can grab a FICO 8 score and get like across the board, you should have a general idea of where you fall at with everything except mortgages. Okay. We've got a few questions about utilization. So we're going to circle back for a second on utilization. All right. The first question is from Carol, which says, should we be updating our income in creditor systems to increase credit limits, thus decreasing credit utilization? Obviously trying to play the system wisely. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good indication. And it works. <laughs> and that's because we very rarely do that, right? Unless, you know, they ask for the update, but I know several uh, people in my community who don't even update it. But I was like, you know what, let me try it one time. And so I just started updating everything, obviously in your favor. Do not update down. Mm. You update up. When we paid off the house, I entered that in there. So, you know, as I started entering stuff in there, the credit limits went up like crazy. Like one, I went from, I think it was like 22, they gave me the 37. And another one, they went from like eight, they doubled it. And I was like, oh. And so, yes. (laughs) And you can call and ask them if you've been a good customer paying regularly, you can also call and ask them to increase your credit limit as well. Absolutely. Right now, the whole times are ridiculous, though. So if you can do online and maybe a chat feature, if they have it, then that's great. Or if you're willing to take the whole time, they are really good at uh, letting you know over the phone as well. That's a good point. Mm. Okay. Our next question is from Carrie, who says to decrease credit utilization while actively paying it off as quickly as possible. Can you talk about the options of a consolidation loan, balance transfer, or asking for those limit increases? What are the pros and cons of each? And what do you think is the best way to get that utilization down quickly? That is five questions, honey. I'm kidding. Yeah, I've done them all. <laughs> <laughs> I have done them all. So the consolidation was great because most credit cards are like from 16 and up as far as interest rates. Mm-hmm. And so when I got the first loan, my credit wasn't that great. I got like a 9%, but that is still fat. Yes. What you want to watch out for is the monthly payments because mm-hmm. you can pay like $35, $50 or something like that a month for credit cards. But when you have that loan, that is going to be significantly higher 
than that minimum monthly payment that you have with your credit card. So you definitely want to plan for that. The great thing about the consolidation loan, and honestly, it's not even, I don't want you to go to a debt consolidation company if you don't have to. You can get a personal loan from, I love Magnify Money's website because it gives you yes. a whole plethora of different loans, but you can go to Prosper, Lending, Trier Club, something like that. Really <laughs> <laughs> you can go through, you know, something like that versus a debt consolidation company. And it's a great way because you automatically alleviate all of that utilization from this area. Mm -hmm. Remember I said that the amount owed categories up to 30% of your scores, credit cards dominate this area, personal loans are scored like this much. So because personal loans aren't as weighed heavily as the credit cards and that amount owed category, you alleviate that right away. Going to balance transfers, that is fast if you can pay it off within that time frame and underscore all of the terms. Zero percent and being able to tackle a card, oh my gosh, that is phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make sure you can pay it off though at the end of that 12 month, 18 month, what's et cetera mm -hmm. term, or be able to transfer it to another card to get more time in order to pay it off. And then there was one more. Balance transfer, consolidation, or... Oh, a credit asking for limit increases, which we talked about. That is probably the one that I like the least because most cards want to give you an inquiry for that. And no. <laughs> I mean, no inquiry. Right. If they don't do that, they're great because, you know, you can just ask for an increase and then it alleviates it while you pay it down. But most of them want to do mm. that inquiry and you do not want to inquiry while you have high utilization. Absolutely, which actually moves us really well over into Callie. We have a question from Instagram who wants to know, how long before applying for a mortgage do you need to stop opening other lines of credit? Oh my gosh, you should stop when you decided to buy your home. But if you bought the home, <laughs> seriously, remember I'm in the real estate and so many people would not close because of that. But if you're saying that you've closed and now you want to start applying for credit, I would want to know where you are with your credit profile. And I'll explain when the mortgage goes on there and it's either going to move your scores up or down because FICO loves that long standing mortgage account on there. And then yeah. I would want to know that you're not looking for the credit cards to fill up your house. Because remember, credit is to be used as a tool, not an extension of our income. That's how we get in debt. And you do not want to be in debt with the mortgage. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what I want to ask you first. But there is no time limit on when you have to apply. As long as your credit profile is on point and you meet the credit issuer's approval guidelines, you're all good. But please do not add mm -hmm. extra expenses to your household when you just got the house. Because I don't know if you saw that study, but it was looking at all the new homeowners and how many had regrets. Mm -hmm. And the number one regret, it was like 57% or more, they didn't really comprehend and understand the expenses of owning a home. Like it's all on you. There's nobody else to call. Yes. And so I would focus on building up that savings account big time, getting that house emergency fund set up because something's going to happen. Yeah. And you want to be prepared and not pull it off of a credit card. But what if you haven't even put an offer in a house, right? Your guys are planning on buying a house. It could be a year from now, two years from now. How long before you really start that buying process did you try to have no inquiries on your account? Six months. Okay. Most of the lenders that I were said six months out, they didn't want to see anything. And even if you've done it a year, like I'll never forget when I bought when we were in uh, North Carolina at the time and had a car and I just had the inquiry. Okay. <laughs> I ended up like paying it in cash. And I was like, let me just get a nice little used car, not even worried about the new thing. And they were like, well, why were you applying? And it was like nine months. <laughs> and they wanted a letter of explanation as to why I applied for the home loan. I was like, huh. So six months minimum, you don't want any disputes, 
notations. Those are marks that are on the accounts. You don't want any inquiries. You don't want any new accounts. If you can help it mm. within six months out to you sitting down with that loan officer okay. about getting approved for a home. And another mortgage question from Christy. We may someday be at a place where we're ready to buy a house. Suburbs of D.C. are not cheap. At the moment, I have a high credit score of 793, according to my bank, unsure about my husband. We paid off our last debt at least five years ago. I have a credit card, but haven't used it in eight years. How do we keep our credit score decent for the future before we buy a house? Start using your credit card. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter how many you have at this point, because you already obviously have a nice, solid, old history. I always know when I hear mm-hmm. things like that, if somebody has an old history or old credit profile, because you can get away with one or two cards yeah. and be completely fine because of how old that history is on your credit. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you can use your card every now and then, and not even a lot, just to get some history reporting in that 30% category. Because right now, the only thing being scored there is a little bit of installment loans from the installment accounts on there and the history that's on there. And so you can do that. And you're right about the prices of D.C. So just to prepare, a loan officer isn't going to want to see that you're using a lot of your credit. Just every now and then that you're using something. Yeah. And that's all. At 799, you're going to get approved for whatever you want. I'm going to tell you right now, as long as you <laughs> As long as you have the income and the employment history and all of that good stuff, you should not have a problem getting a mortgage. And we have another mortgage question, but your point about 793, I want to pull back for a second because MJ submitted before the, the live of what is the fastest, most effective way to increase your credit score when it's already above 780? Is there a point where you really, you're kind of won the game already? I don't feel like it. I have people coming to me all the time. Can you help me get to an 850? It's like, no, go find a goal and go work on that. Like, let's build some wealth, okay? What do you want to do? Do you want to invest in real estate? Are we starting a business? Are we planning for college or retirement? Let's start focusing on something other than the 850. Mm. Because at 780, you can get very, very, very close, if not the same rate as somebody with an 850 score. So you're doing great in the 780 range. You could play around with the utilization a little bit, but that's when I teach my community. Some of you don't take offense to that. Please oh, don't take no, offense. No. But that's what I say. <laughs> that's what I start focusing on people in my community. Like, okay, let's, let's get some goals starting. Mm-hmm. Do you have insurance? What is your insurance looking like? And no, we can't have the same one that's at your employer. What is your savings looking like? Are you investing? Let me start referring you to other people so you can learn how to start investing. Now it's time to start building yeah. because you've taken care of the credit part. Mm-hmm. Now it's about maintaining having your money skills on point and taking it to the next level in the wealth building process. Totally agree. All right. Kelly wants to know, what about rectifying inquiries for a mortgage? We've been hoping to buy it for a year and we keep needing to review our credit because of these inquiries. You know what? Those mortgage inquiries, especially now, this happens a lot when it's economic climates like this. Mm -hmm. They are just extra, extra cautious and they are pulling those reports like crazy just to make sure nothing has changed, even though it's negatively impacting your scores. So I would come into the cold conversation with the loan officer and letting them know, okay, you're pulling my scores. This is what it's doing to my scores. What's going to happen? I don't want something to mess up my interest rates. And obviously it's dropping. And a lot of them know that it's going to drop, but don't really know how to avoid it because it's interwoven in their new policies due to COVID. And so it Mm -hmm. may be nothing that you can do about it because it's part of their policy. They are being extremely cautious right now. 
And they will have to review your credit if you don't buy within a certain time frame before your rate expires. So there's no way to avoid that if you are using that lender because that's their policy. I, I hate it because I know it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with that personally as a realtor with the clients and it's it's not fun. Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> Okay, so let's move to some people who are really earlier in their journey and struggling because we have a question from Kelly. This is a detailed question, but she wants to know, with charged off debt, what needs to happen to remove it from a credit report? Is it just time? Is it's paid in full? Can it be removed as being a negative? And then she wants to know also if the charged off debt is negotiated to less than the full amount, does it still get removed and when? So charged off that's with the original creditor. So it's a lot different than when you're negotiating with a collection agency. So goodwill letters help. That's when you're writing. I definitely got a few off when I was in my disputing process, but they are not as privy to delete that information as collection agencies are. So that's when you want to go in and start looking for even the most minor errors in hopes that they will not update it, but just remove it because it's been paid. Gotcha. And so I call it the disputable five. You want to look for information that's inaccurate, information that's not complete, information that's unverifiable. You would only know that if you dispute. If there's some outdated information out there on timely information, you want to look at all of that to see if you can find an error that would allow you to dispute it off of your credit report. Some people just send a dispute and pray. It works. The success rate is small. <laughs> I tell you that. However, it's usually best to try to find an error. And it's also best to try to see if you can negotiate that removal before you pay it. Okay. And if not, afterwards, try to pull on the heartstrings of some of the CEOs and upper level management of the companies. You have to craft the story. I did that. I mean, it was the truth. I mean, I had a baby. I had cancer. Like, I mean, it's true. I paid you. Can you, can you help me out now? <laughs> Please. <laughs> and so, you know, some were able to do it and some were not. When you have that negative information, though, sometimes it's just going to sit there seven years from that negative, the last, they call it the first date of delinquency, the first date that you were past due and never brought the account current again. Mm-hmm. It starts seven years from that. So from there, you just want to start building positive stuff from there forward, because FICO focuses on newer information, they score that more than they score older information. So as that charge off gets older and older and older and older, it's like barely getting scored, especially when it reaches about four years. So okay. then you were just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so Kelly had a follow-up question too, which is, I know she's in our Motivated Mama Society community. She's working hard on improving your score, getting out of debt, but her roof now really needs to be repaired. She's got a leaky roof. It has to be fixed. And so she wants to know, should she even try financing a roof replacement if her credit is 605? Like what should she do to make sure, you know, her house is fixed, but also that she's continuing her credit journey as well? 605, you're going to get high interest rates. So I would check with the company that maybe offers financing. Mm -hmm. We had to do that with some windows and it didn't touch our credit. I would check there first, see what your options are, see if they offer payment plans where you can pay them directly. And does a whole roof need to be replaced? Can it get patched? Like kind of see what you need to do as affordably as possible, but it's not going to cause a huge, basically you're not causing more damage. Sometimes we can patch stuff up and then it's like the whole roof came in. So you don't want that. (laughs) So kind of decide what you can get away with. I won't say as cheaply as possible. How can you get it fixed? Well, it's safe and it's going to last for a few years so that you can do what you need to do with credit and finances and all that good stuff. So I would check all of that out. So you got a little bit of research, Kelly. Absolutely. That's so frustrating when you're like on that journey and you're doing all the right things and then something breaks, right? That's one of the... Always have it though. 
<laughs> it does. And it's one of the benefits. I don't know what you recommend. I'm actually curious. So we recommend building some emergency fund first and making sure you have that mm-hmm. cushion before you really dig in and do the debt full speed. What do you recommend on building that emergency fund on your debt journey? I am big on doing both simultaneously because I find that mm. when my community sees the debt just sitting there, it just does something to their psyche. <laughs> Remember I said it really depends on the person. That's why it's personal finance. Absolutely. And I'm also huge on side hustles. Like we cannot continuously rely on the income that's coming on in from the nine to five because they're just paying us for a position and not based on our lifestyle needs, our financial needs, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to take control over the financial resources flowing into our household. So I'm always like, okay, how are we going to make some more money? What can we do? <laughs> Let's make some money. All right, mamas, keep dropping your questions in the chat. We've got a few more for Nativa here. One of them is from Lauren who says, I've been an authorized user on a card for a family member and that family member is going to declare bankruptcy. I've already been removed as an authorized user from the card, but how do I make sure it's removed from my report? I'm worried that the bankruptcy will affect the work I've been doing to raise my score. That's so easy. Authorized user, you can call, you can do an online dispute. The good thing is that they give you no pushback because it's not your card. So mm. which either way you want to go, right, call, online, it's going to be removed like that. So that's the easy, simple solutions. You're good. You're good. Well, that's very comforting. <laughs> that one's easy. And so we're talking all this season about new moms and families. And one of our big focuses here at Smart Money Moms is building generational wealth, which is why I love this question that came in from Kate, which is any tips on helping young adults start off with great credit rather than making the mistakes that mom made and had to correct for herself? I would love to know the age because I've noticed that some people in my community start when they are like going to college. I know Kate and Kate's kids are five. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, good. So you're, uh, I have an eight year old. And one of the things that we always do, and you can Google like some good money books to start reading with them. And I love having our budget family nights. And so we come mm-hmm. and I don't tell my kids my income. They have big mouths. They share stuff too much. We don't want family <laughs> But I kind of get an idea of what our budget is, where we want to spend, what some of our goals are. And I get the conversation of money starting early. And I like for them to answer questions because, and I ask them questions if they're being tight-lipped, because then I know what other resources to pull in so that we can start learning more about it. There's so many fun, like, what's the one of them? FDIC has a great free program out there that I love. I mean, it's literally module by module. And I use that with my youngest. They have a K through three, four to like six or seven. They have, I think I have it all the way up and it's totally free. You print it out and you just start as they start asking questions. I just pull from that resources. And then, you know, I have regular conversations with them. This is how much we're going to spend for our budget. Let's go shopping. Why can't you have that? And then you also, because they always beg when they go in stores, right? (laughs) And so when you have those date nights and they know our goals, I'm always like, okay, well, you know, we're trying to go like our next upcoming trip is Panama. So, you know, we're trying to go to Panama City. So do you want this expensive toy? Because now that has to get pulled from somewhere. So now we have to learn about delayed gratification or compromising and understanding what's your most important goal at the moment. So I'll just start having those conversations as early as possible and then check which credit cards, if you have some, would allow you to add an authorized user and at what age. Like my almost 12-year-old, he's already on a couple of mine. He's building that nice credit profile. I would never give him a card. (laughs) That's very dangerous. 
Never, but I will give him the green debit card and kind of let him know what his balance is and how to check it. But really, allowances are great. Mm-hmm. So that's really good to start teaching things as well. And they got to work for that money. I'm not just giving you money because you're my kid. You got to work. Okay. <laughs> so start doing that. Yeah. Allowance is a great way to teach opportunity costs. And one of my favorite games, we've talked about this before on the show, with kids even like five or six years old, is to go into when you go grocery shopping. Like we have this much money for snacks and let them pick like, okay, we're doing $20 worth of snacks this week. You guys pick and then let them do the trade-offs. Let them experience what that looks like and how to work within a budget. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. That's a good homeschooling math lesson too. (laughs) It is. And so much of that early math and pattern recognition really goes into delayed gratification and our ability to build wealth. We have a whole set of like 14 games for kids three to Ooh, 12 that. that we we sell at Smart Money Mamas. And so we play those games with our kids too. They love, we have this grocery game that they absolutely love where they pull a card and they have to figure out how much a set of items costs or can they afford it with the money that they have. I love it. Yeah, we, we love those games here. But Natiba, when you were at the kind of peak of your financial stress journey here, right, before you were applying for bankruptcy, what do you wish someone had told you in that moment? Uh, to get better insurance. <laughs> Damn health insurance. Oh, that was like the main thing. Why did I choose this insurance plan? But I really thought nothing would ever happen. And I was young and in my 20s. I wasn't planning on even having kids at that, you know, that early. We were not even married a year. So it was really, really early. And I was just like, Lord, why didn't I get better insurance? And why didn't I save more? The recession, if you weren't paying attention, kind of smacked you in the face, just like, well, actually, COVID did much worse. <laughs> and so, you know, the, I did so well. And real estate that I just always thought that the money would be flowing in. So I didn't put as much emphasis on making sure out of each closing check that I put aside this amount of money for an emergency fund and be this aggressive towards paying off debt. I kind of did, you know, put a little bit here and then go play, you know, go travel, go do this, you know, because the money was always flowing in. So now I've learned, like, I was on my same budget before COVID because I was just like, I would never be put in that position again. I save money like crazy. So those are the two things (laughs) to have your um, fan budget (laughs) already mapped out. (laughs) Be very mindful of what's going on and and exactly what I wish somebody would have told me. Absolutely. Having that habit of saving no matter how flush you Uh feel is so, so important. That's a great lesson. Natiba, where can people follow up with you, sign up for your course in your community? Absolutely. So we actually just spearheaded a new community. We're moving it off of Facebook on our own platform. It's called Credit Makes Sense. So creditmakesense.me. On there, you'll find the free class that I mentioned on how to read every section of your credit report and start the dispute process and identify errors. There's free savings challenges in there, free goal setting class and all of that good stuff. And the form, we're actually kicking off a free Q&A tonight. We're going to have something every single month where we're educating and empowering our community. So love for you guys to be a part. Absolutely, mamas. We will have links to all of that in the description of this episode. Nativa, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Mamas, it was so great to hear all about credit scores from Nativa today and the importance of this being a foundation of our financial health and our ability to build wealth. So if you haven't lately, go check your credit score. And if it's not where you'd like it to be, try some of the steps Nativa shared today to start ramping it up. Every small change matters. You've got this. I want to thank Natiba again for coming on the show and sharing her wisdom. You can find links to her site, the Frugal Credit Nista, and all resources mentioned in this episode at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 114. 
Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.